Sorry. Good morning. It is so good to see everyone. Uh, my name is Kent Job. I'm the lead minister for the downtown church uh, in Searcy, Arkansas, and it is so good uh, to be here with you today. It's an opportunity and a privilege. We've never been to Pepperdine, and so uh, my wife Kara is right here in the black passing out handouts, uh, and so it is, it is good to be on campus, and it is a privilege and an opportunity. I'm thankful for whoever decided who got to speak uh, that I, I was in that in that list. Um, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Something I'm very passionate about is proactive congregational care. Uh, there are a lot of things that are very lofty that we need to address and discuss in the local church, but I think this is what I call it, low-lying fruit. I think there are harder issues, but I think this is something that is extremely important in the DNA of the local church. That's where I want to spend our time today. Uh, I'm a big fan when I come to things such as this. I, want, I come with an empty toolbox and I want to leave with stuff I can take back to my church. Uh, stuff that works in my context, maybe stuff that won't work, but maybe if I tweaked it, it might. And so if I do this right, when you walk out of here, you're going to walk out with things in your tool chest that hopefully will apply in your ministry context or some variation uh, thereof. My family can't be here, but they're extremely important to me. I wanted you to meet them. Uh, I'm the chubby guy on the left. My daughter is Briley. She's 15 years old, uh, freshman in Searcy High School. Uh, the two in the middle is my oldest, Derek. He married Gracie Matheny. That's the girl in the white dress. Uh, Kara's the girl, the other girl in the end. And then Austin is our middle child. Uh, he is at Crowder College, Juco, playing baseball. He's our pitcher that's going to support us in our old age. That's the plan. So super excited for that. But that's the family. They got married December 18th. And so that, that's the most recent picture we have of all of us. And so they couldn't be here, but I, I'm glad that, that they're a part of the world. So again, this is a fire hydrant thing. I understand that. This is my email. I am on Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, why do you say this? Tell me more about this. I would be honored to answer those. I want to start off talking about Wilma today. I've been doing full-time ministry for the last... 20 years, um, 30 years, we'll start over, 30 years, uh, and some, I know, right, <laughs> that hurt, anyway, uh, 30 years, I want to start off by telling you about Wilma, uh, Wilma was a sweet lady in our church, her first husband died, she remarried, they were married for 30 years, she had a bio son and had several stepsons, when the second husband died, her stepsons of 30 years all of a sudden got very protective and wanted to make sure she didn't get anything. Uh, it was very awkward. She had helped raise those boys, but all of a sudden when it came time for inheritance, it got very legal. And so as she's struggling through this, I'm texting her, I'm calling her, how you doing? Text, 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 call, call, call. Um, I go to the funeral. He was not a religious man. Um, they didn't want me having anything to do with it because he was not religious. It's the only funeral I've ever been to where one of the songs was the theme from the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what we were dealing with. So after all, the, after all that kind of blew past, I went out to her house, asked if I could come out to visit, we had a good visit, she made coffee, we're sitting at her dining room table, and she says these words. And I walked out to my truck and wrote them down as close as I could, word for word. I appreciate the calls and the text, but I needed my minister to be in my kitchen with his legs under my table. Texting may work for the younger generation, but I needed human interaction with my minister. Um, in my busyness and in my attempt to be all things to all people, in my mind, if I was texting and calling, I was making contact. And that particular sweet lady who I'll call Wilma, not her real name, um, was deeply hurt. Uh, and so I apologized. And that, that changed the way I viewed congregational ministry. That's Wilma, let me tell you about Betty. Let's fast forward several years again. Betty's not her real name. I've just got a Flintstones thing going, you'll see later. Um, I have the opportunity. Uh, Betty is a new family. They've moved to us from another denomination there in El Dorado. 
Um, and they haven't been there just a couple of months and Betty's husband, we'll call him Barney, uh, his mom dies. And so I drive over there. I've learned from Wilma. I drive over there uh, and I sit in their living room and I talk and I visit. And they're still new to the church. They don't know a lot of folks. They're going to have a lot of people in. They're going to clear out their garage, put out tables and chairs. I said, can I bring plastic chairs from the church? Can we set these up in the, in the garage in our tables? Would that be helpful to you? Uh, and she said these words. I wrote these down in the truck. And I got a whole dissertation out of this quote right here. I thought we were just going to be put on the prayer list or something. I thought we were just going to be put on the prayer list or something. In the busyness of our culture, it is easier to put you on the prayer list than it is to sit in your living room, write the card, make the meal, or nurture the relationship. That's where I start. I want to get past the fact where are we just going to be put on the prayer list or something. I believe proactive congregational care is extremely important. I want you to understand that this net level of neglect has not been done intentionally. Please hear me say, uh, I don't think anybody says I'm not going to minister to people. I'm not going to care for people, especially people in the pew. I think it is a default. Um, we are busy. Uh, and it's our default to ignore those who quietly occupy the pews. We'll talk more about boundary events or crises. Most churches, if something big is going on in your world, we are going to be all over you. But in the day-to-day, -day, if you're not a squeaky wheel, you tend to fall through the cracks. That's where proactive congregational care, I think, is so important. Paul writes in Galatians 6.10, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So much of it is a lack of what I would call genuine relationships. Now, I'm sharing this. Um, for 22 years, I was the minister in El Dorado, Arkansas, a beautiful place. We loved our time there. We did, and I'm not picking on El Dorado. I would argue most congregations look very similar to this. We did what we would call a ministry map. You can see, I have a, I have a pointer, our vision at the time, uh, downtown, or at College Avenue, was to love God, love others, and share the good news. We wanted to do it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we took everything we did as a congregation and put it into quadrants. What was thinking, what was doing, what was caring for the hurting, and what was moving closer to God. And what we noticed as a congregation, and again, I don't think it's, I don't think it's unique to College Avenue. I'm not picking on College Avenue. I think downtown would do the exact same thing. Most of us, if we look at the ministries, it is all in the action end. It's all in the red. It's all in the doing. It's not in the being. It's not in the caring uh, or congregational care. It is much more in action. Now, Action isn't all bad, but if we're not careful, that action can lead us to, we can be so programmatic to be, it becomes problematic if we lose sight of people. It's then again in this moment we have to reclaim uh, the one another's. Again, we act like there are harder topics than there are. There are harder to topics in the text, but at the same time, I think there comes a point when we have to reclaim the one another's. What are we doing to one another? In our desire to save the world, in our desire to reach out to the least of these, all of these as they should be, we have to make sure that we have not ignored uh, in the process those who sit quietly in the pew who, again, wills may not be as squeaky. When I started this, I was still in El Dorado, I asked for a show of hands of people who have ever felt lonely in the pew during a sermon. And it was humbling, it was heartbreaking, the number of people that have been members of that congregation, <laughs> 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, those who had served as shepherds, those who had served as shepherds' wives, deacons, deacons' wives, raised their hand and had felt lonely sitting in our pews. And that hurts my heart. So I think that's why proactive co 
proactive congregational care is so important. I'm going to assume a level of biblical literacy today just in the interest of time, uh, but there's three passages I think to kind of speak to this. The first one is the 1 Corinthians 12 passage. You're familiar with it uh, as parts of the body. I'm not an ear, I'm not an eye, I'm not a nose, yet I'm still important. Uh, if church members are organically interdependent on each other, they experience joys and pains as a body. Um, I've heard it said, you've heard it said, I don't know how people do this without a church family. When you go through crisis and all of a sudden your church family surrounds you, I don't know how people do it when they don't have that community of faith around them. On more than one occasion, whether I was in Cersei or in El Durango, if we had a member somewhere else that was in need, I could pick up the phone, find out who the minister was of that local congregation, whether I knew them or not and say, hey, this is who I am, this is the situation, is there something you can do? Um, I can't tell you how many times I pull that string uh, because there is a network, because as a community of faith, I don't have to know you. If you come to Cersei and you break down and you call and say, I need help, we are friends, we are family, we are community. I don't know how those without a community of faith are able to pull that out. Acts chapter two, we talk a lot about 38 as well we should, uh, but in post-Pentecost, as we look at 42 to 47, um, we see something that is extremely important, this case study of the early church and what the church is capable of when it's led by the Spirit and models a, a selfless pattern of Christ's likeness. Uh, one of my favorite commentators is uh, Kent Hughes, and he brings up 3,000 3, new children of God, 3,000 shepherding responsibilities for the apostles. While the number of souls was impressive, the responsibility to train and nurture these souls must have been daunting. With the help of the Spirit, this group who came to know Christ slowly became a model for churches for generations to come. Imagine 3,000 new Christians. We would be super excited, our church would grow, but all of a sudden these people, God love them, just like us, are needy. How do we take care of all of these needs? How do we adapt congregational care? Well, it's not a, a, a dynamically minister. It's not awesome shepherds that are gifted at pastoring. It is member congregational, proactive congregational care. As you read through Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 45, we see the word together a lot. They were devoted to the teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. 44, all the believers were together, had everything in common. 45, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Let's hear the word together again. Every day they continued to meet together in the temples. They broke breads in their home and ate together with glad hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then if you flip over two chapters, we talk about Pentecost in the end of Acts chapter 2, and again, rightfully so. But in Acts chapter 4, something happens that we kind of gloss over. It seems to be glossed over uh, in my humble yet biased opinion. I think two chapters later in Acts chapter 4, it is impressive that the early church is still operating. Following the description of the early church in Acts chapter 2, they still embody the same qualities. If you read in Acts, in Acts chapter 4, 32 to 35, there was still a sense of community. There is a growing sense of unity among the believers. This was a church that was still zealous for God, and it was evident in how they sacrificially served one another. Uh, we do not get the impression from the text that the people had to lose their identity to be a part of this group. Rather, it was their unique gifts and talents and their common bond in Christ that made it work. There's one particular verse I wanted to read. Chapter 4 and verse 32. All believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Proactive congregational care. If I have it and you need it, it's not mine, it's yours. 
And you go down to verse 34. How cool would it be if we could say verse 34 over all of our churches? It reads like this. There were no needy persons among them. How cool. That as a body of believers, even with 3,000, as the church continues to grow, there is no needy people among them. Why? Because as needs came up, they met them. And I would even like, if we can raise the bar a little bit higher, I would rather not read about it in the church bulletin or the church alert. Ideally, I would rather know because I have relationships with people and it can be met organically. Not where we're having to do a call out. Does anybody got a week? So-and-so needs their yard mode. I'd like to know so-and-so well enough that it doesn't have to make the bulletin. I think when we are proactive in congregational care, that is the bar that we're trying to set. So what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of things, just seeds. These are seeds, uh, conclusions, future implications, kind of how this works moving forward. Hopefully we'll have time to kind of ask questions or maybe I would love for you to say, have you thought about this? And there's a good chance I'll go, no, and then we will learn together. Um, but let me give you just a couple of things rolling around in my head. Number one is, again, the case for being proactive. Ideally, their uh, members are aware of the ongoing needs and concerns of their fellow church <coughs> members and respond organically before they read about it. Being proactive, it means so much more. If you watch me, you see our family, and you see, is there something I can do for you? Or, hey, I'm noticing blank, and I help with blank. It means so much more. I would also say, we'll, we'll get off into attendance here just a little bit. Something we used to say at El Dorado, we say it in Searcy as well. If you go to church, there's a good chance you've got a spot. You probably sit in your pew. Um, you know who's in your section. Uh, repeatedly, we would say, check your section. Who's not here? Who's not here that should be here? Um, and then check on them, but take the next step. If the Spirit nudges you to say, hey, so-and-so's not sitting behind me, like they do every Sunday, has the Spirit nudged you? Have you acted on that where you reach out and say, I missed you yesterday? And if they say, I'm sick, or we were out of ballgame, or we are whatever, I've never had anybody say, it's none of your business. I've never had anybody say, how dare you check on me? I, I, I do me, you do you. I've never had that. Uh, people want to be missed. Proactive congregational care says, I'm invested in you, and I missed you there. All right? Um, here's a good book. Uh, Steve Esward, I can't say that last name. Uh, Making a Good Church Great. He talks about a progression that I think every church goes through. If we're healthy, as we seek to bring people in, it starts off as a hospital. But whoever said it first, the church is not a country club for saints, but a hospital for sinners. So we want to be a hospital where people come as they are, there's triage, there's getting to know them, there's whatever wounds they've had, whatever they bring to the table, we want you here. It is very much that hospital mentality that migrates to an idea of family. Once we've diagnosed, once we've figured it out, once we kind of figure out where you are, we want you as part of our family. There is, there is an identity there. There is a role there. And as we move from the hospital to the family, we go to the school. We talk about discipleship we talk about apprenticeship we talk about um, learning and growing in our walk with christ so what comes in is kind of a hospital mentality moves from the family uh, moves from there to the school and eventually to the army i won't make you sing it uh, but if we were to sing i'm in the lord's army right uh, we don't want anybody to think that, that the local church is just a hospice like we're just hanging out until we die we just want to be comfortable that's that was never the intent right we understand it is proactive, it is aggressive. We are to go into the world. And so as we bring people in, we move from that hospital to family, to school, to this, this mental picture of this army of how do we engage people 
uh, to go to the next step. I want to share this with you. And again, this is on one of your slides. Uh, Gallup did this poll um, in the book Spiritual Companioning. They refer to a Gallup poll um, that simply asked the question after, after they asked all their questions. As a result of their study, they developed a list of 12 statements that express what people need in order to be engaged in the life and ministries of a local church. Now, this isn't a checklist, but I think it's a barometer. And so I would encourage you to take this, see if you feel that way, and see if you feel this way in your local church. Uh, there are some of these I think we do well. There are some of these, at least in our context, I think we could do better. Uh, I don't know of any church that's nailed all 12, but I hope they exist. Uh, as a member of my congregation, I know what is expected of me. In my congregation, my spiritual needs are met. In my congregation, I regularly have the opportunity to do what I do best. In the last month, I received recognition or praise from someone in my congregation. When is the last time you walked up to just a member? Um, not someone that had an outstanding role or the preacher, although support your preacher, they appreciate that. But just someone in the, in, the, in, the, in the pew that is quietly serving that you walked up and went, man, thank you for teaching two-year-olds. That is not my gift. Or the guy that, that's the usher at the front door, or the guy that is making sure that the communion trays are full, um, the guy that is in charge of AV, uh, good grief, right? Anytime someone doesn't advance a slide fast enough, everybody turns around and scowls. When's the last time you went to that guy and said, man, you're doing a good job? I mean, it would mean more than you know. Um, spiritual leaders in my congregation seem to care about me as a person. There is someone in my congregation who encourages my spiritual direction. Seven, as a member of my congregation, my opinions seem to count. Uh, the purpose or the mission or purpose of my congregation makes me feel participation is important. I'm proud of the vision statement in downtown right now is to be the word made flesh. You'll see it again on one of the last slides. But to be the word made flesh. And that acronym for word is to be worshipful, obedient, relational disciple makers. And everybody in that building can say it. Every sermon it closes with being the word made flesh. Worshipful, obedient, relational disciple makers. And I want, according, especially on this one, uh, the mission or purpose makes, makes me feel participation is important. Um, hopefully, if you're a member at downtown, we need you to be worshipful, obedient, relational, and disciple-making as you go. Uh, and it, it requires all of us, not just the paid staff. Nine, the other members of my congregation are committed to spiritual growth. Hope you can say that. Ten, aside from family members, I have a best friend in my congregation. You come in with your family, sit with your family, leave with your family, or are there other people outside of your family that you were drawn to? Have you made other connections outside of those that you have to live with? or get to live with. That's what I said. Number 11. In the last six months, someone in my congregation has talked to me about my progress of my spiritual growth. In Arkansas, we talk hogs, we talk weather, we talk spiritual growth. How are we doing spiritually? How are you doing? How's your prayer life? Have you been in the Word this week? Again, I've never had anybody go, it's none of your business. I've had people say, thank you, or it's awful, or I'll get with you later. But I've never had anybody say, don't ask me about my spiritual life. Who asked those questions? We need to be people that ask those questions. All right, here we go. So here we go. Uh, the pros and cons of the clipboard. Oh, I didn't finish. Um, number 12, in my congregation, I have opportunities uh, to learn and to grow. Uh, again, I hope out of all 12 of these that all these apply to you in your context. If there's one that y'all are doing really well in, celebrate that. And those that are involved in that, tell them that. Uh, encourage every chance you get. Um, but look through there and see if there are some that may be proactively on a congregational level. What are some things that maybe we could do a little bit better? Yes, ma'am. Could you please let us know how current this Gallup poll was? That Gallup poll was, 
I have elders that would ask that question. 2005. So it is 18 years old. That's fair. 18. Yeah, 2005. All right, pros and, cons, pros and cons of the clipboard approach. Um, in El Dorado, we use clipboards. In, uh, in Searcy, we use Church Center. It's an app. People, It's the same process, whether you do it on a clipboard or an app. You check in. You check in. Now, the way that works in both ministry contexts, if you check in, nothing happens. If you don't check in for three or four weeks, you pop up. And then you end up on a list, what we call in El Dorado, the sheep in danger. Uh, and that, that was meant lovingly. But sheep in danger because you weren't here. You weren't here three or four weeks. And so we would take that list of the shepherds being that the congregation was broken down into flocks. Uh, if Jason is a shepherd, I hand him a list each month and say, here are the people in your flock that have not been to church in the last three or four weeks. Okay? So he knows in his flock these people have not signed the clipboard. A lot of times people come, they just don't sign the clipboard. You people frustrate me. But whatever. So I mean, these people did not fill out the clipboard or did not check in on the app. And so you've popped up. And so once again, you're on my radar. You're on my radar because you didn't come. So that's a pro. That's good. That helps us identify people that don't come. The con of that is if you do sign up on the clipboard or on the church app, I'm probably not going to check on you because you're good. You're here, right? Now, are you really good or are you just here? Well, I don't know. I don't have that relationship, right? And so the pros and cons of that clipboard is sometimes people have to not come before we finally go, hey, what's going on? And you might be sitting in the pew struggling, but no one's taking the time to ask how you're doing. Uh, and so it requires relationship, and relationship requires time, and I fully understand that. Um, but that's the pros and cons of the clipboard approach. Um, people, again, churches are usually very good with boundary events, crisis events, weddings, births, funerals, illnesses, crisis. Church show up for that. Um, it's during the day-to-day -day stuff. How are you doing? That if you're not a squeaky wheel, if you're not on the front burner, how are we caring for those people that quietly serve that still need to be checked on? Um, those are important. All right. Uh, respect uh, generational differences. This is important. While most agree congregational care must be a higher priority, the response way to accomplish this is, is varied. Again, I go back to Wilma. To best do congregational care to Wilma was not to text her and say, how are you doing? That did not count. In her mind, conversation was king. Let me tell you about a young lady that recently came into our life. We'll call her Pebbles. Still going with the Flintstones name. Pebbles, what people that did not show up in this picture is Kara and I in the last month and a half have taken on two foster boys, ages eight and four brothers. Um, they're playing t-ball. They're playing coach pitch. We are now back in that world where every weeknight but Wednesday night is practice or ball game. So Pebbles comes to us and says, what is a night where you could use supper? And we said Tuesday. We didn't go, we're fine. We said Tuesday. That's what we said. Um, because proactively, she knew we had foster kids. She knew my wife. My wife teaches second grade. I do ministry all day. She said, what day do you want supper? And rather than not allow her to use her gift, we said Tuesday. And I'm very proud of that. Now, let me tell you how Pebbles did this, because this is awesome for us. She came, she, and she said, what is your evening? So we're like, let me tell you. So we talked to a caseworker at 5. One kid has practice at 6. One kid has a game at 6.45. She says, I'll be there at 5.30. And we said, okay. She walks in, rings the doorbell at 5.30 with everything in disposable dishes, hugs our necks, messes with the boys, walks out. That's congregational care. I did not want her legs under my kitchen table for an hour. That wasn't good in that moment for us. And so it's learning relationally. And like if we had to entertain somebody for an hour in this season right now, that would not be ideal. 
Uh, and Pebbles knew that. We would call her Terror Bringer. But if Pebbles knew that. They, I mean, she, it, and it was so perfect. It was so beautiful that proactively she said, I know you're fostering. I know supper is going to be a madhouse. What can I, can I, I'm doing this. You tell me when. When that happens, it is just the case study of what it can and should look like. And again, it is relational. Also, I want you to see the role of men. We'll talk about this a whole lot, but there's a whole lot there. Women have table talk. They have events. They have retreats. They talk. They share Men, not so much, but when it comes to congregational care, men desperately need this. In the book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, David Morrow points out the need for spiritual fathering. He acknowledges that every man needs a band of brothers. Uh, And again, different, again, in the book, uh, most women, care comes face to face. We're sitting across the table from one another. Men, for whatever reason, is more often done side by side. You think about it. We go to a ball game, we sit beside each other. We go fishing, we sit beside each other. We're in a deer stand, we're sitting beside each other. If you're in a deer stand and you're face-to-face, you're doing it wrong, right? <laughs> and so, but, I mean, we bond much more side-to-side, men do, than right here. Now, I drink a lot of coffee in Cersei across the table from guys, so it kind of depends on the makeup of the guy. Um, but it's, it's much more, I've had a lot more, or even riding, going somewhere with somebody else. I've had more conversations with men facing the same way than him having to look into my eyes. And so congregational care also even has a gender aspect. We have a generational aspect, but also uh, a gender aspect. Uh, in defense of meet and greet, I love, how many, okay, we have a minute. How many of you love meet and greets when, you're, when your preacher says, let's get up and greet our neighbor? Who eats that up? Dana? All right. John, okay. Three, four. All right. I, I'm an extrovert. I'm an Enneagram one. That's not important. I just had to share my number. But I, I, I think it's important to meet and greet. I want to do what? Because you are, you share. Because I are, yes. yes. Um, I know there are introverts that despise it. They hate it. They don't want to get up and greet your neighbor. They don't want to tell a good God story, which sounds unbiblical, but I understand. I do. I get it. It can be an introvert's worst nightmare. The church service has begun, and then someone from the stage says, let's take a, grit and take a minute and greet our neighbor. One minute you can worship in virtual anonymity, and the next you're shaking hands with members, guests, and a mix of people that you aren't even sure if they're members or guests. You're forced to make small talk and feign interest in the minutia of the lives of others you only see for an hour once a week. Is it any wonder that so many are opposed to this forced mingling of parishioners on a Sunday morning? Um, Here's the issue. We didn't explain the why. We didn't explain the why. I don't want you to walk into downtown, sit down, get up, and walk out. I don't want you to do that. I want you to know who is in your section, check on those in your section, no people who downtown like I say it's in Cersei, we're, we're a mile from Harding. There's always guests and parents and people coming in. I've, I've been there one year and three days, four days. I don't know who all goes to downtown. And so on more on more than one Sunday, I'll introduce myself and they'll say, I've been here for years. But they're polite about it. They're patient. But and but it's okay. But as long as we continue to say, I made the effort to say it. And so with apologies to, to introverts, I think we explain the why, but we push for <laughs> interaction that if we want to do proactive congregational care if i want somebody to miss me if i want somebody to know me in the local congregation i'm gonna have to meet and greet somebody and if i'm not going to do it on my own i'm going to blame it on the preacher and i'm cool with that Uh, and so i think if we explain the why meet and greets have a better chance Um, so go back and share that with others all right the other thing i'm going to tell you and this is james emory white a big fan of linger events 
Um, this is any opportunity before or after services for people to hang around that long. I'm not talking an all afternoon thing. I'm not talking, I'm talking something that brings people together where they don't just get their kids and go to the parking lot. Um, James Emery White is um, North Carolina, probably. Uh, big, massive church, massive, massive, massive church. Uh, and something they pride themselves on is they'll get a popcorn machine and they'll put it at the back and they're just passing out popcorn. And, and, and parents will stand out in there and let their kids play and they'll talk 10, 15 minutes. Like, again, this is not a major thing. Um, they had some extra snow cone syrup left over from one of their events. They got ice and one Sunday evening after services, they just did snow cones. And parents you know, stood there and talked, kids went out and played 30 minutes, 45 minutes and it's done. But it's the linger events, the proactive congregational care. You gave people a reason to hang around for just a minute before we have to rush off getting our individual cars, go to our individual uh, homes, close our garage doors and get back in our world, right? So these linger events, um, College Avenue was really good about this in the summers. We would do a watermelon supper where there wasn't a, I mean, we did a watermelon supper, we did homemade ice cream. I mean, it was just events that just drew people in. Uh, there weren't overly logistical nightmares. It was just opportunities for people to kind of be together uh, and work on congregational care. All right, uh, the continuum of intimacy. Sweet lady brought this up as I was working on this um, initially. The continuum, this is a big phrase for something that, that makes a lot of sense. If I don't know you, what's your name? Smee. Smee? Wonderful. I'm glad I asked. You're the first Smee I've ever met. Yeah. I like it. All right. So if Smee, if something happens in Smee's world while she's here at Harbor, um, I don't know Smee well enough to walk in and get her laundry and go do her laundry and repack it for her so she doesn't have to mess with it before she goes home. There's a continuum of intimacy. We just met. I don't get to go through her dirty clothes, right? In your local congregation, one of the issues is how well do you know certain people? Um, Pebbles could come to my house and bring me supper because we know each other. We can do that. Um, there are some people you may not have that level of relationship. Uh, and so that continuum of intimacy as we build relationships with people allows us to do more. Does that make sense? There are people at downtown, I don't know that well, that I didn't know at all. But I'll hear from the announcement that so-and-so's granddad died. Well, what can I do? I can't, I, I wrote a card, I, I sent a text. When I see them at the church, when I put face with a name, I, I tell them I'm sorry, but I don't know them well enough yet. For me just to show up in their living room and go, hey, we haven't met yet, but I'm your preacher. And I'm sorry that your grandpa died. Um, probably I might be able to get away with that. Most members can't. And until I've established some kind of relationship that continuum of intimacy determines kind of where we are. Um, and so in working on the dissertation, um, Sheila brought this up, Sheila Holland. Uh, just this idea of knowing people well enough to know what is appropriate in a given situation. Uh, and so as we look at proactive congregational care, knowing people well enough to say what is acceptable and what would be crossing a line. But everything is better than nothing. We'll say that. All right, uh, the power of courting, this is fun. Like a marriage relationship. We can recall a time when we were infatuated with our future spouse and the attention we gave to the courting process. We knew their favorite things, remembered important dates. We put their needs above our own and made sure they felt valued. Churches are the same way. If someone wants to come to our church, they're not a member yet, we roll out the red carpet. We 
I don't say we whine and dine because we don't do the wine thing. But we, we invite people in. We put our best foot forward. We're getting to know them. Every time we see them, we go out of our way to say hi. Um, I grew up in Texas. We did the rodeo thing. Um, calf roping. Have you ever seen calf roping? Yeah. That yes. poor little cow. Like, eh. Anyway, calf, really. Uh, calf takes off. The guy's on the horse. He ropes him. He jumps off. He ties him up real quick. And he goes, and then what does a cowboy do? Do you know? He walks off. Walks off. It's somebody else's job to untie the cow. So, uh, so the calf is like flailing. Anyway, so but the cowboy's done what he was supposed to do. He got off, he roped it, he did it right, he hopped off, he jogged over, tied it, clock stops, no longer his problem. He walks off. Somebody else can untie the calf that's flailing down the ground, right? We've treated new members like that in a lot of ways. Once you're baptized, once you place membership, we're on to the next one. Who else? Who else is a member yet? Yeah, and again, in the spirit of evangelism, that sounds super. But for new members, as we seek to be proactive in congregational care, I want to be real careful that we didn't court you, we got you, now we're good. Who else can we, who else can we get? We always need just one more. Who else is here? Yeah, and I think we do ourselves a real disservice. Uh, when I got married, I didn't show you my wedding picture. <laughs> um, 26 years ago, I weighed 200 pounds. At some point, the courting phase ended, and I went, I'm good. And then, and then you just kind of, what happens, right? You're just kind of like, well, I mean, we quit courting, like a lot of married folks, Right? You quit courting. You quit giving attention to things. And so in marriage, it's important that we continue to court. We continue to date. We continue to be proactive. I would say the same is true with congregational care. Um, the lost art of hospitality. COVID really messed that up. But a lot of people weren't very good at it before that. Um, but just this idea of being hospitable. Of saying, I want you in my home. I want you to come. Um, I've been a part of two congregations that were really good about small groups. Um, where you could have people in your homes. Uh, and that's how you got to know people. That's how you became, um, with this next one here, um, accountable to one another. If you just come in and sit down and leave, you don't meet and greet, you don't plug in, you don't get engaged, um, there's no accountability. Um, and doing the, in doing the dissertation, two of the things that came out, I thought hospitality would have rated very highly. Nobody ever mentioned it. Nobody said a word about it. 30-something interviews, nobody said the word hospitality wasn't even on their radar when it came to congregational care. And that shocked me. The other thing that shocked me was how many people said this cry for accountability. I want to be missed. I want you to ask me where I am. I want you to ask me why I don't go to Bible class. Don't assume you know. Um, our boys play tournament baseball. A lot of weekends we were going different places and stuff. If Karen and the kids aren't, aren't at church, don't assume we're playing baseball. Ask. Ask. We'll tell you. Um, you know, if a kid's sick, <coughs> ask. We, we will tell you. Um, so there was, there, was, there was accountability. People wanted it. Uh, in Tom Rainer's book, High Expectations, churches with higher membership requirements and expectations grow faster and more evangel evangelistically effective than those without <laughs> high expectations. Do you, does your leadership expect you to be there? They may expect you to be there, but do they acknowledge it when you're not? People wanted accountability. Also, the desire for increased vulnerability. People wanted to be more vulnerable, and they want the church to be a safe place to be more transparent. Uh, as we build congregational care, you, you let your guard down. You can be vulnerable. You can share those things that are going on. If we have nurtured those relationships, that continuum of intimacy allows us to be vulnerable. Again, I go back to small groups, home groups. Uh, we've had a small group in our home since September. Uh, there are things we're talking about on Sunday nights now we were not talking about in September. Why? Well, because from September to May, 
we have established this, this continuum of intimacy. I could walk into any one of those people's houses if crisis came up and feel like I could do something without crossing a boundary um, because we have nurtured that relationship. All right, a couple more. Uh, a leadership paradigm shift from administrative to pastoral. Again, I've been in two really good congregations that saw this, acknowledged this, and acted on it. Um, that I don't even use the word elder. I know it's a biblical word, but I like the word shepherd. Shepherd sounds more pastoral. When I hear elder, I hear administrative business meetings, uh, budget items. When I hear pastor, when I hear shepherd, I hear pastoral. And in the light of proactive congregational care, I would rather downtown has 28 shepherds. I would rather have 28 shepherds than 28 elders. Um, even as even as a minister, 28 elders, but 28 shepherds is awesome. Um, because they're, they're actively engaged. And even the nature of the shepherds' meetings have changed. Most of the, shepherd, the shepherds at downtown meet every Wednesday night from 5 to 6.30. The majority, 75, 80% of that time is in prayer with new members, with hurting members, with sick members, um, with different deacons or ministry teams we want to bring in and pray over, listen to what's going on, hear how we can help in their ministry. It's prayer. We spend a lot of time in that hour and a half with our eyes closed. And that is awesome. Uh, I take shepherding model over administrative model any day of the week. Um, and then ministry involvement. We talk about proactive congregational care. There's also some ownership on the part of us. Uh, if people aren't involved, they're not going to be cared for. That's just the reality. Uh, I'm going to miss you if you are engaged in ministries and there's holes. If you're just one, someone that just comes on Sunday mornings and leaves, congregational care becomes more difficult because there's not as many levels of interaction and networking. Um, part of the process is to be involved. Bob Russell of the Southwest Church. Uh, I've convinced that people get, I'm convinced that people get to know each other more naturally as a byproduct of playing sports together, participating in a common activity, than if they meet for specific purpose or of relationship building. So as we get involved in ministries, proactive care becomes much more possible, much more feasible, and much more organic, frankly. Uh, and then the last one. Uh, develop a bump the lamp mentality. Let me explain. Uh, it's from the book The Comeback Effect, and it talks about the animators who worked on the film Roger Rabbit in 1988. Uh, it's one of the first ones to combine cartoon animation with real actors. Uh, I, don't, I never saw the movie, but if you remember this scene, if you did, um, real guy, cartoon rabbit. Um, if you didn't tell that one, the cartoon rabbit. Anyway, so he grabs the cartoon rabbit and he shakes him, and he, when he does, his head bumps that lamp. And so because it's, it's live action, the lamp, there's shadows all over the room, except on the cartoon character because they're drawing him. And so Disney had a decision to make. When we bump the lamp, are the shadows gonna affect Roger Rabbit? Are we gonna go back and fix that and make it where when he bumps the lamp, every time a shadow should be on him, we color him darker? Or do we let it go and hope nobody notices? And the decision they made was to go back at great cost and at much more time to go back and make sure that Roger's cartoon drawn body reflected every shadow that everything else in the room reflected and it was called the bump uh bump the the lamp mentality um let's see young and uh, mom contend that bumping the lamp uh, means rejecting just okay and going be above and beyond even when it's possible nobody will notice the extra effort put into making it excellent uh, for far too long our attempts at congregational care have been acceptable but not excellent again when somebody gets married buried dies so when something happens most congregations are all over it how can we i mean there's meal trains there's all kinds of stuff my concern today where i want to center in on 
is the proactive congregational care, members to members, are we checking on each other? I think it is so important to the DNA. Um, all right, I've told you about Wilma, I've told you about Betty, I've told you about Barney, I've told you about Pebbles. Let me end with Fred. A couple of weeks ago, Fred, not his real name, uh, called me and said, hey, I want to meet for coffee. Now, I wish I could tell you I was more secure in my maturity, my status in ministry, my just maturity in general, where I didn't automatically assume something negative. But I'm not. I'm not. When someone calls and says, I'd like to have coffee, I'm like, what did I do? What did I preach? What did I say? What did I not do? And so I automatically go through this checklist of me defending my life, my ministry, my value on earth. I have gone down this wormhole, um, and I'm just like, and I'm dreading this with every fiber of my being. Um, he's a nice guy. He hasn't done anything for this point. And so I go in, uh, we meet at Midnight Oil. It's a coffee shop there in town. And so we sit down, and I'm like, I mean, I'm so prepared. Whatever he's about to say, I've got something. I'm so ready. And I have no reason to be this way. No reason to be this way. It's just ministry. And just, just anyway, you know, Jason, right? Yeah, yeah you've been there. Anyway, so, so I'm sitting there, and he says, because let me give you a little backstory. At the beginning of each year, I don't do resolutions. I'm horrible with New Year's resolutions. But I try to pick a word that I want to guide me throughout the year. And so my word for 2023 is slow. I do everything too fast. I probably talk too fast today. Everything I do is fast. And so I really would want to be more intentional about being slow. Said that from the pulpit, January 8th, at the beginning, I want to work on being slow. I want you to hear me say, I want to work on being slow. Moved on. So I sit down in Midnight Oil with, uh, who did I say? Fred. Oh, yeah, Fred. Um, my character's mixed up. Uh, I sit down with Fred, and the first thing he says is, how are you doing with slow? What have you learned? Where are, you, where are you getting really good and where are you still really struggling? I just want to hear your process. I've been praying about that. He said, ever since you said that, and this was like March, April, everyone else, including me, had moved on. Um, you know, and so and I was like, sped past it. And I'm like, what's this slow you speak of? Anyway, and so, but I, he stopped me in my tracks. He proactively at two o'clock on a Tuesday pulled me out and said, how are you doing with the word slow? And for the next hour, we sat there and talked about it. Things that I was doing better, some things that I wasn't where I wanted to be yet, but I, you know, I'm, I'm at least more aware of it, that kind of thing. Uh, he shared his word. I got to ask how he was doing. And that was one of the best conversations. Why? It was proactive congregational care. It was, he was not a shepherd. Um, he was just a guy, just a guy. A member in our congregation they wanted to know how I was doing. And I, I will tell that story forever. Just because how important that was that someone asked how I was. Um, proactive congregational care. All right, last two slides of every sermon. Uh, again, the vision at downtown. My sweet daughter took this picture. Um, the vision at downtown, and I think it's a pretty good one for you too, is to be the word made flesh. To be worshipful disciple makers. To be obedient disciple makers. To be relational. <laughs> disciple makers and all that we do. Uh, and as we go through that, we share the message of Jesus Christ. The message is that Jesus came to this earth, uh, that he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, and we fully believe he's coming back. In the meantime, I think it is so important uh, that we are proactive when it comes to congregational care in our local congregations.
Um, I really appreciate your time. I have officially gone to exactly enough time. So I'm going to close this out with a prayer. Again, this is something I'd love to talk about. I know there's another class coming in at 10, so I will clear all this out. But again, you have my, I have business cards right here. Hopefully everyone has a copy of the slides. If you do want to email Facebook, uh, I would love to continue this conversation because I, I think it's very important. But I appreciate your attention uh, today and your interest in the topic. Oh, and there's also, I saw Ms. Smee's back pages. Um, this, this was, a, I got a whole dissertation out of this. And so the bibliography on the last several pages, there's some really good books that deal with congregational care that I've found useful. Uh, the author escapes me, but one of those books is The Lonely Pew or Lonely in the Pew. Uh, it's an older book. It was probably one of the best that I read as far as uh, working with people that are in the pew that just kind of get lost in the shuffle. Uh, and it's an older book, but I, I would recommend that. All right, I'm going to close this out with a prayer, and then we'll be uh, dismissed. Gracious God, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for um, Pepperdine. I'm thankful for Malibu. thankful for the opportunity to be uh, here and to be a part of this program and the opportunity to be able to teach. Uh, Father, I pray that you be with our respective congregations, uh, that you help us just to be intentional about congregational care. Forgive us when we've, got, when we've allowed busyness and the default uh, to keep us just from looking out for one another. Uh, Father, we do pray for our respective congregations, for those that are in crisis, and for those uh, who just quietly um, serve. Uh, help us to be attentive. Uh, help us to listen to the Spirit when we see opportunities uh, to speak and to minister into people's lives and help us uh, to act on those nudgings. Be with us throughout the rest of uh, this day. Father, be with all of us as we travel home over the next several days. Be with all the rest of the speakers. Uh, may you continue to work through them in mighty ways. Uh, we just ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.